know what's next. Let's get pumped for the message! You guys, um, we ready, TJ? Annette? Ready to roll? Okay. Um, I want to... First of all, welcome you all to God's house again, and those of you that are tuning in with us online, welcome too. Um, We're really excited to expand our community and our faith family in lots of different ways, and one of those ways is uh, through the use of technology. So if you're joining with us online today, take a moment uh, to, uh, we just all worshiped God in a song and with our giving, and if you uh, would support us in that same way, you can go to our website, visitgodshouse.com and tithe or give there, uh, and continue to be uh, a member of this family. So today, I want to talk to you on um, the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is called Practicing Purpose. So, practicing purpose. The main thing that I want you to understand if you like zone out in 10 seconds, or if you just join on Facebook Live and you're about to click out, is that your purpose is practiced through your callings, okay? Your purpose is, I'll say it again, your purpose is practiced through your callings, not your calling, your callings, okay? Your purpose in God is practiced through your callings. It's not the other way around. And your purpose and your calling are not the same thing. There's been huge devastation to the body of Christ and the walk of the believer because we confuse the two. We think that God calls us to a purpose. Some people do. And also in the church, we believe that some callings are more lofty or higher than others, which is completely and totally incorrect and not biblical. So when we are talking about this, the danger is if I say your calling is your purpose, you internalize it as the core of who you are, why you were created, and what you're meant to do on this earth. And if that calling ends, then so does your purpose. Right? How many times have you been seeing people thrown into depression, addiction, confusion, conflict, destruction, defensiveness, because a calling ends and they think their purpose does too? Right? How many times have people within the body of Christ told you that, oh, don't worry about that thing that happens to you. God's going to work it all out for your purpose. So you're waiting and waiting and waiting for this purpose to show up in your life. And it drives you or it drove me into a performance-based worthiness of trying to figure out what my purpose is and how I can please God. So what 
I want to start off with today is a real quick crash course in purpose and calling and why they're different, okay? So purpose is the reason for which something is done or created. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, well, why was I created? And what am I supposed to do everything from, right? Now, according to the entirety of the Word of God, we know that every human being's purpose, every single one, every human being's purpose is that we are created for his glory. And the reason we do what we do is for his kingdom. It's for its restoration and reconciliation to himself. Okay, those are two big you know, words. But restoration just means like building back up to fullness. And reconciliation means joining together something that was once apart, right? So if every single human's purpose is to glorify God and build his kingdom, well, that, okay, that doesn't get lost in a calling. You have it when you're born, you carry it through every day of your life until after you die, okay? You, your purpose is immovable and permanent, in Exodus 9.16, it says, But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. When I heard verses like this growing up, I thought, isn't that kind of arrogant of God? Like, do you really need your name proclaimed in all the earth? Is every single human being's purpose really to glorify you? Like, that's, you got kind of a big ego, God. Like, can't you just glorify yourself? Right? Am I the only one that thought like that? Probably. (laughs) But the thing that we come to realize is that when we're, and so I would be afraid, like God's glory was like this fearful thing because it showed up in fire and pillars of smoke that couldn't be burnt out. And I, oh my gosh, like we don't, I don't want to get in the way of your glory then. Not because it flowed from who he created me to be and my purpose, but because I was afraid, right? So, but if we hear God's heart, this is what he says, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, what? You're precious. You're honored in the sight of God. I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for just your life. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of my glory or fire or anything else. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east. I will gather them up from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. I will say to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name... That's, you know, everyone. Everyone who's come by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I form and made. The reason we are created, our purpose, again, is for God's glory. Try again. For God's Because it's all of your purpose, okay? So it's, you've been created for his glory and so that you can build his kingdom. Yeah, that was better. Good. Okay, so... so How do we do that, right? How do we 
bring God glory and build his kingdom. That is where calling comes in. Okay? How we do that is deeply personal. It is not relegated to like, oh, this group of people is called to glorify God and build his kingdom in this way. Or this nation of people is called to glorify God and bring him glory, build his kingdom in this way. Your calling is deeply personal. It's something that God speaks to you as his child, and it is not enduring. Okay? Your calling is a task or an assignment that's given to you to steward for a period of time. Okay? So if our calling then is a task or assignment that's given to us to steward for a specific period of time, which means like you're in charge of it, but it's not yours, right? Stewarding, you're in charge of something to make it better and help it grow and make it more beautiful and lighter and bigger, right? More abundant and prosperous, but it actually was never yours to start with. If that is what, how we build the kingdom and bring him glory, then all of a sudden, it doesn't really matter what you think about my calling, does it? Because I've got a few of them, and they're a little bit controversial within the body of Christ. And if you accept your deeply personal calling, it will be controversial too. But in the end, it doesn't matter what other people say about your calling. As long as your calling is practicing this purpose of bringing God glory and building his kingdom. The entirety of God's word says that the way that we do this is through a redemptive relationship with Jesus Christ and the power of the word of our testimony. So, if you're like, well, yeah, I've just been waiting to figure out what my calling in life is. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you don't, that's your first step. Have you told people your story? Have you told people how God showed up in your life and what he did to you, for you, with you? If you haven't, that's your first step. In Ephesians 1.11, it says, It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we live for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs for glorious living for us, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and in everyone. And then in Revelation 12, 10 and 11, this is right after this huge war in heaven, Okay. This great big war happens between God and his angels and his saints and a dragon and those that are with him. It says, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God. That's what we're supposed to build up, right? Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters Let's just stop for just a second. There is 
an enemy that's accusing our brothers and sisters plenty. We need to stop accusing them within the body. I don't care if it's a Facebook post about a political party that you disagree with. I don't care if it's you telling somebody that they shouldn't do international missions because there's plenty of stuff going on right here in Grant County. I don't care what it is. Stop being cowardly with the social media post. And if you really want to do something for the kingdom, go run for office or start a business that's going to help defeat darkness in this place. We know what our purpose is. And as humans, we all have the same one. We already have an accuser. Don't be one. And so here's what happened. (laughs) For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not triumph over him through strategy and 20-year vision and 501k investments. Those are tools that we can use. But it is not the power of our calling. So, what about calling? We talked about how it's a task, right? But what I want you to understand is these callings that you've received from God are exercises in faith. They are not proof of it, okay? There's a difference. An exercise in faith is a practice that strengthens you. It builds you up. It increases your capacity. I was just talking with DJ this weekend, and he said, you know, just two years ago, I was in charge of budgets of $6,000 a month, and now that's about, like, times 10 a month. Can you imagine in four years after he continues to pursue his calling through the exercising of his faith, the amount of money he might be able to steward for the building of God's kingdom? But if he gave it to him two years ago, he would not have had the capacity to steward it well. And in so doing would not have brought glory to God or built his kingdom. God gives you Everything you need for the calling that is at hand. He doesn't necessarily give you everything that you need for 10 years from now because you're not living 10 years from now, right? He knocks on a door. <clears throat> we could, it's a whole other, whole other message. So if you're like, Megan, this is kind of interesting, but... I always want to go back to scripture and make sure, like, is this idea correct? Does this make sense? Right? And if you go to pretty much any time, any time in um, the Old or New Testament where someone is being called by God, right? So you can look at, okay, I've got a list here. Just, just wait. You can look at Noah, Hagar, Tamar, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Peter, Paul, many of the other prophets and disciples. And what happens is God comes to them in a deeply personal way that connects to something in their past. 
The reason that God showed up in a burning bush to Moses was not because he thought that would be a flashy good idea. The reason he showed up to a Moses in a burning bush is because Moses's faith was cultivated as an Egyptian, which is a polytheistic faith. And the thing that Egyptians feared the most was the god of fire called Ra. The reason that God showed up in a burning bush that did not burn up and invite Moses into intimate relationship with him in that way is because he's saying, you don't have to be afraid of anything. Okay? You don't have to be afraid of anything. So the way God calls you is not going to look like the way he's called me. We expect God, we ask for him to show up in a burning bush or a fleece or writing on the wall. And actually his best message for your calling has been placed in you, not outside of you. And so what we're going to do today is look at the life just of one example of um, someone in the Old Testament that was called and see what we can gain from that. But this is just one example. His name is Jeremiah. There's just one example. You can find this thread all throughout any time that God calls somebody. The calling is never permanent. So when people say, when ministers specifically say, I received the call from God on my life when I was eight years old and I knew that I was supposed to be a minister for the rest of my life, I say, wow, that must have sucked. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Because you're going to have to work that out. You're going to have to work that out when actually everyone's supposed to be a minister of God. Our church just shows up in a different building, like on a different day of the week, right? But how God calls you isn't permanent. It's a task or an assignment that's supposed to be completed God called Paul on the road to Damascus. He didn't start his missionary journeys till 14 years later. You think he didn't use him in those 14 years? No, he probably used him in different callings. And the ones that we get to hear about are written down in epistles in the book of Acts. So there are three things, of course, right? There are three things um, that you... Practicing your purpose, three ways to practice your purpose through your calling. I'm not even close to done, John, so I mean, I might be late for my flight, but you can start playing, that's fine. Um, That'll hold the plane, I already checked in. Um, Okay, so this is what practicing your purpose looks like it's three things permission partnership and promise and it happens over and over and over again and each and every calling that you'll receive you are required to practice permission practice partnership and practice promise so when we're talking about i'm gonna jump into jeremiah 1 4 through 19 here if you've got your bibles please Turn with me if you don't get a Bible and bring it to church with you next week because we study the Word of God here and it's where you're going to find your calling. (laughs) If you don't have a Bible, talk to me or DJ or Rhonda or Dave or any number of people in this church and we'll get you a Bible. But if you show up without a Bible next week, I'm going to be sadly disappointed. (laughs) But God loves you, so you'll be okay. (laughs) 
So in Jeremiah 1, 4 through 19, this is what we hear. It's actually uh, my little, my Bible, the little headline on it says the call of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Here's Jeremiah's response. Alas, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, see, I've put the words in your mouth. Today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Here's what happens, you guys. We practice pleading inadequacy over and over and over and over again to God. We practice saying, I'm too young or I'm too old or I don't have enough. We practice pleading inadequacy when he calls us, when he's just said, just practice granting me permission to use your story, the entirety of it, for my glory and the building of my kingdom. But we say, not that part, God, not that part. Not that part, I can't, you can't ask me to be a prophet because I can't speak. See, I'm too young. Ask me to do something else. He says, no, through your inadequacy, I make myself known. Eugene Peterson says that there's a huge, enormous gap between what we think we can do and what God calls us to do. I think that that gap is our own shame and guilt. That gap is our own shame and guilt because we like it. And you wouldn't say that you like it. You wouldn't say that you like that abuse or that sin or that mistake or that excuse or that addiction. But it's comfortable, it's predictable, and you can cozy up in it like a nice warm blanket on a Sunday afternoon instead of coming to church. We like our shame because it's a part of our identity. We like our guilt because it gives our story another reason to plead inadequacy when God says, just grant me permission to use it. I will give you everything and all that you need. People come up to me on a regular basis and they say, Megan, I don't know how you do it all. I'm like, no crap. (laughs) I don't know how I do it all either because I don't do it all. There's a huge gap between what I'm able to bring and what God does through me. There's a huge gap. But because I've said, God, I grant you permission to use every last part of my story. And I will grant you permission again and again and again because it gets harder and harder and harder. I was called to be the minister of discipleship at God's house. It is one of my callings. Since I became the minister of discipleship at God's house, I have been called a blasphemer. I have been called a sinner. I have been called a usurper. It's a big word, right? I've been called a woman who doesn't know her place in the world. My calling has been attacked again and again and again by people within the body, not people outside of it. 
But just because I have been called to be a minister at an interdenominational church and I'm a woman does not give you any sort of reason to be my accuser if you're supposed to be my brother in Christ and you've been called to be the minister of a Baptist church in Hamilton County or in Kentucky or in Alabama. And it gives me no right to accuse their calling either. So when I stand up here and I say, you got to get like that gap is the shame and guilt. You have to grant God permission to use your story. I know what vulnerability that takes. I know how that's ripping your rib cage open and saying, here's my heart. See how it looks. See what my story has been and what it's like and all the mistakes and all the mess. But in all of that, God is glorified because he is greater. In all of that, God is glorified because we start a school in Africa where hundreds of children will receive an education, not just to learn how to add and spell and read. They'll learn that, but they'll also learn how to flourish in their purpose and callings as children of God. Guys, that's a big deal. Not only that, right? But we have people that have been trained in this body and in this community to make it lighter and brighter and more beautiful. The second thing, so for you guys, right? What's your gap? What's the shame that you need to grant permission to that part of your story? What failure or sin or mistake or saboteur or excuse do you need to give God permission to use? What part of your story do you think that his glory cannot touch? All right. We ready for the next one? Okay. So the next one is partnership. We're actually going to skip a couple verses and come back to them, okay? So next what happens is Jeremiah receives two visions from God, an almond rod and a boiling pot. So we're going to go into uh, verse 13. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me from the north disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones and entrances of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all of her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness and forsaking me and burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. This whole thing, this like Hey, people are coming against you, Jerusalem. Get ready. Everybody actually knew that in this time. Everybody actually knew about the evil that was surrounding them. They weren't surprised when Jeremiah said, Hey, guess what, guys? I bet you didn't know this, but there are armies coming all around you, and they're about to attack. It wasn't like they were out planting flowers, and all of a sudden they realized war was imminent. War was imminent. They knew it, and they were terrified. And the point of this vision is not to scare Jeremiah off or say, man, you're so evil, I'm about to destroy you and your people. The point of this vision was to say, Jeremiah, see what's at stake. See what's at stake if you don't accept this calling. And also, here's a reality check. 
just in case you wanted to go and just plant some flowers for a little bit, there's danger everywhere in the world. There's darkness and evil and awfulness everywhere in the world. But guess what? It's all contained in a boiling pot. It's not running rampant. And even when it gets spilled out, there is an end. There is an end to the boiling water that's going to be spilled out of this pot. And this is what he says to Jeremiah. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. He's saying, practice partnering with me, Jeremiah. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the sin and evil, practice partnering with me. Get yourself ready. Do not be terrified by them. He doesn't say it's not evil. He doesn't say it's not dangerous. He says, don't be terrified because today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Because what can boiling water do to a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall? The only thing it can do is clean it. Seriously. The only thing, if you are sitting strong in your purpose and you are confident that you're living out the calling that God has given to you or the callings that he has given to you for this time, the only thing that evil and darkness and pain and sin is going to do to you when it comes up against you full force is clean you up. But instead of practicing partnership, we practice self-pity. Instead of saying, yeah, God, I'll be that iron wall. I'll be, you know, I'll be that iron pillar. I'll be that bronze wall. We say, "Mm, it's just, it's just way too hard. There's just way too much darkness. There's just way too much evil. This is a time where no one can win. Partnership with the living God will take the world someplace lighter, better, safer, and more beautiful. It will not damage you. He will not put you in harm's way to make a point. He will put you in a place where you are fully equipped to manage with him. A place that will only make you better, lighter, safer, and more beautiful too. The last thing that God says in this passage that we're going to read is in verse 11 and 12. And this is where we practice promise. He says in verse 11, The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? He said, I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. If we don't study scripture, we can just skim over stuff like this and get real caught up with the boiling pot of water. But what he sees here is an almond tree. Almond trees bloom in Jerusalem almost before winter is even over. In Eugene Peterson's book, Run With the Horses, he says, the almond tree is one of the earliest trees to bloom in Palestine. Before it puts forth leaves, it puts forth blossoms, white and snowy, 
While the land is still chill from winter, the warm blossoms, untended and unforced, surprise us with promise of spring. It's kind of like crocuses around here, if you know crocuses. Every spring it happens again, the explosion of blossom in our forests and gardens before the leaves are out, before the grass is green. And we know what is coming next. Migratory birds will still soon fill the air with song. Leaves will festoon the trees with great banners of green. Fruit will begin to develop. The blossom is a delight in itself, beautiful to look at, fragrant to smell. But what is more, it is anticipation. It is a promise. Like words, he's saying, I'll make every word that I give you come true. Just like you can count on the almond tree blossoming first every spring. You can count on this. And what happens is, he uses this word play here. And I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I think that this is really fun. Almond tree is the Hebrew word shakade. And when he says that he is watching to see that every word is fulfilled, it is the word shakad. Does God ever like play games a little bit with you like that? Like you think what he's saying is one thing and then you show up to that vision and it's this other thing that's really the same thing but more and different. So what's happening here is every time that Jeremiah walks past an almond tree every spring because his calling as a prophet took over 27 years. Every time he walks by this beautiful tree, he thinks, Shakad, he's watching. He's watching to make sure every promise is fulfilled. So for you guys, what's your gap, right? How do you need to start practicing permission? What's the part of your story that God really wants to use, but you've been holding back for a while? And how can you practice partnership in a place that feels dark or painful? What is the area of the world or the darkness or the pain that just breaks your heart in two? Because that's where your calling will be found. That's where you're supposed to bring beauty and light and glory and build his kingdom. And then how will you practice promise? Because to fulfill calling, you need a vision that will compel and sustain you for the long haul. If you're going to keep the distinction between your calling and your purpose firm and separate in a sense... If you're not going to let the two overlap and become confused in whether or not God's using you for his glory and to build his kingdom because maybe your calling, like, isn't complete yet. You need to practice rehearsing his promises over and over and over again. And that is one thing we do here on Sunday mornings, but it's also something you need to do every single day. My mom used to tell me to practice how I wanted to perform. (laughs) And I wouldn't. I'd practice piano with a slumped shoulder and down wrists and and spilling over notes. And she would come in and put her hand on my back and lift up my wrists and say, practice how you want to perform. And it pissed me off. (laughs) 
but it was true. I, um, when I was 20 years old, doctors told me that I couldn't be a mother because I couldn't have children. And it really devastated me because I thought I was supposed to be. And so I don't, I thought that was my purpose. So I dove into research on marital satisfaction and infertility and how we could foster and adopt and maybe we could become house parents at a children's home. And then six months into my marriage with Evan, I became pregnant with our son, which was a miracle, not just a fluke of science. But it rocked me to my core because he had called me to something else too. He had called me to build a place and invest in people outside my home. So now that I had a baby growing inside me, how was I supposed to reconcile those two purposes? You don't reconcile the two purposes. You have one purpose. You might have multiple callings, which are avenues and tasks and assignments for you to practice that purpose in. And I have two beautiful, wonderful children that I get to practice my purpose in daily. I was called to be a minister. It's not my purpose, but it's an assignment that was given to me. And I tried to steward it well. And in so doing, bring God glory and build his kingdom. And now there are people that know God and lives that have been saved because I said yes. For every person that has told me that this is not my place, another two people have come and said, you saved my life. Two. I have been called to be a coach. And some of you don't know what that means, but that's okay. I've been called to partner and co-create God's kingdom with his people, with his children, in a way that doesn't make sense to a lot of people in a lot of cultures. And if I got all mixed up with all the people that told me I believed in a new age philosophy instead of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, or if I got all caught up in the people that said I was a little bit too hippie or a little bit too hood, I'm a little bit hippie and a little bit hood all put together, and you would know that if you know me. I'm, I'm the girl that's going to slash your tires and then go inhale some essential oils right afterwards. Like, you call me up. I'll help you with a drug bust that the cops don't need to be at sort of thing. So, and then we'll go talk about how you need to breastfeed your baby. Like, that's... That's just me, right? So I've been called to be a coach, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing that and figuring out what that is. But that doesn't mean, because my role as a minister has stopped here, that it does not continue in another place. It just means that I've been called to minister in a church, in a God's house church plant, in a different part of the kingdom, on a different day of the week.
And you guys do the same thing in your businesses, in your homes, in your families. Don't ever let anybody tell you that your purpose is at risk because you're following God's calling in your life. So, it's funny because I stud- I've studied psychology and the soul and all these things for so many years, right? And the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, expecting a different result. But I want to tell you that sometimes it's not. Sometimes doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, expecting a different result is just a practice of purpose that's going to lead to your godliness and growth. So keep practicing purpose and lean into these people in this place when you can't figure out what that looks like. If you come to me and you say, Megan, I can't figure out my calling, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Have you prayed about it? You'd be real shocked at how many people haven't even asked God what their calling is and are super confused about why they don't know. So, have you prayed about it? How long have you prayed about it? Like two seconds? Great. Okay, you're going to practice that prayer a little bit while longer, and then you're going to come back and talk to me, okay? So, have you prayed about it? Have you told your story to anyone? And ask them what they think your calling should be. Like, that doesn't mean you just accept it, Right? But have you told your story? Have you granted permission for the word of your testimony just in and of itself to maybe build the kingdom of God? And have you asked other people to pray for it with you? If you've done those three things and he hasn't revealed your callings to you, I will coach you. I'm not kidding. I will coach you or I will find someone I've trained to coach you because we will help you figure that out. But the first things that you need to do are pray and ask. After this all happens to Jeremiah, he does it. He starts being this prophet, and he gets in a whole lot of trouble. And he cries out to God, and his prayers are super authentic. And he's like, I don't know what to do. And God's response is, stand at this crossroads. It's in Jeremiah 6, 16. Stand at this crossroads. This decision I've placed before you where you're not really sure where your purpose is, but there are callings abounding. And look, ask for the ancient paths, which are like prayer and Bible study. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and then walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. When you ask, God answers In Isaiah 30, it says, as soon as he hears you ask, he will answer you. As soon as he hears you ask. So sometimes doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result isn't insanity. Sometimes it's a practice of purpose leading to your godliness and growth. And I've been honored to practice that purpose with you and will be honored to continue to do so. Thank you. Wow. I was sitting there thinking, you guys know I'm kind of a preacher, you know, like, 
and sometimes it's really good to get some teaching. I don't know about you, but I'm like convicted. I, the one I keep feeling in my spirit, and I know Megan's going to catch a flight. So drive carefully. Thanks. <laughs> Her mic's still on. Um, but I just feel this urge in me. What I want to say to all of us as we leave, you can stand this morning, is it's time to wake up, church. Look at the world around you. Look at everything going on. We're the body of Christ. We don't need to not know what we're called to do. And exactly what Megan said, if you don't know what that is, pray, ask God. And if you still can't figure it out, call us and we will connect you to a coach. That's one thing this year we're working on as a ministry is to actually get a coaching counseling office in our building because people ask all the time for that kind of stuff. And so that's something we want to offer as well to our congregation. So thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. It's awesome to have you guys all here. If you need to listen to that message again online, do it because it's got a lot more in it, I think, than what we can write down at one time, right? Uh, but good, good stuff. So thanks for worshiping with us today. If you want to pray for anything in your life, our prayer partners will be down here in this altar this morning. Uh, if it's your first time here, we'd love to connect with you. We have a connect desk in the back. You can go back there and fill out one of our e-blast cards, and we'll be in touch with you. And then we end every service before we go, just confessing a blessing over ourselves and our week. So let's say this together, that my best and most blessed days are ahead of me. Love you guys. See you back next week for Family Sunday. So kids will be right in here next Sunday.